You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. And we begin with some breaking news involving two lower mainland police officers who've been stuck in Cuba for eight months. The pair held since one of them was accused of sexual assault. But tonight we're learning they have been cleared of all charges. Our Sarah McDonald is live in the newsroom with the details on this breaking story. Sarah, what have you learned? Well, back in March, Vancouver police officer Mark Sims and Port Moody officer Jordan Long were detained in Cuba. We now know that both men have been cleared of all charges against them. Here is some background on this case. Sims was alleged to have engaged in sexual activity with a 17-year-old girl from Ontario and he was under investigation for rape while Long was being investigated for being an accessory to that crime. The two men were initially arrested and spent a week in jail and while they were subsequently released, they have been barred from leaving the country ever since. Multiple sources now tell Global News the pair recently appeared before a panel of five female judges who cleared both men on all charges unanimously. That means Sims and Long are no longer under investigation and they are waiting for the Cuban government to grant them clearance to leave the country. The question now is exactly when that will happen. We are told both men have their passports and documentation in hand, but they are still waiting to be cleared to leave. Now, what will happen with this investigation once these men are back on home soil is also unclear at this point. Both the Vancouver and the Port Moody Police Departments tell us they are still waiting for an official update and information from Cuban authorities on this. All right, thanks for that. Sarah McDonald reporting on that breaking news. Now to a rescue that's nothing short of a miracle. A 23-year-old man is alive and in hospital tonight after spending five days trapped in his vehicle. He disappeared after driving away from his father's home in Sayward on Vancouver Island. Ted Chernecki has more on what happened and the series of fortunate events that helped save his life. And this is the logging road. The, the hunter, was, I was told, was on the logging road. If a hunter traveling along a forest road doesn't make that turn, this story mm -hmm. could be very different. On November 3rd, 23-year-old Duncan Moffat leaves Sayward on Vancouver Island in his dad's pickup truck. He's last seen in Campbell River on November 5th. After that, nothing, and the search is on. His dad's mangled truck is in a towing lot now. Had Moffat not missed some big boulders on his way down that embankment, different story. He's down there, broken and bruised, trapped for five days, but again, fortunately... It turned out that he had uh, had a bag of apples with him in the truck, and, that, and he also had found a gallon or a, a jug of Gatorade. So fortunately, he had some nourishment and some moisture to keep him hydrated and nourished and warm. Strangely enough, guys, here's another vehicle literally wrapped around that tree. And then there's parts from the other vehicle here. An old wreck, more evidence that this is a stretch of Highway 19 that needs improving. One of the parts still down there belongs to the truck Moffat was driving. And our guys set up uh, some rope rescue equipment, lured themselves down to the truck, and also had to get hydraulic rescue tools down beside the vehicle. At that point, they began uh, an auto extrication uh, evolution where they take the rescue tools and cut the car apart, cut the door off. Three broken ribs, broken shoulder blade, and a, and a clavicle, I think I got that right, and um, just banged and bruised. Up. So um, that's the extent of it. But in spirits, he's fine. He's not, um, you know, dehydrated to the point where he's delirious. So, um, so as best as could be expected. Needless to say, Moffat's family is ecstatic he's been found alive, thankful for the hunter who spotted him and the first responders who rescued him, and above all, thankful he's expected to make a full recovery. Ted Chernecki, Global News. 
RCMP are asking for the public's help to find two overdue travelers from the Lower Mainland. Donna Johnson and Timothy Hall were reported missing today. They were last seen at their home in Coquitlam on Sunday. Their cell phone GPS location was last associated to the McClure area at around 6 last night. RCMP believe they may be traveling in a 1991 Brown Ford F-250, similar to the one pictured here, with BC license plates BFN, or pardon me, BF9750. If you have any information, you are asked to call either your local police department or Barrier RCMP. Metro Vancouver mayors have voted to suspend Surrey's light rail project at the first meeting of TransLink's Mayor's Council. But as John Hua reports, Surrey's new mayor will have to wait to see his election promise of a SkyTrain come true. For anyone hoping Surrey was on the fast track for SkyTrain, next stop, more analysis and a work plan. We need to get going and get shovels in the ground. We've got to know what it is that's proposed, where we're going, and whether that is the right way to do it. All those in favor, opposed, carried. The new mayor's council voting to wait for a clearer picture before pushing forward on Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum's promise of SkyTrain. There's a lot of questions around the table and this is a, a significant change in direction for, for the mayor's plan. And unfortunately, at this point in time, we don't have all of those answers yet. Light rail transit is cost effective. There's little confusion about the fact light rail can't be forced onto Surrey. Does that mean it's dead in its tracks? Depends on who you ask. It has not been cancelled as a project. It is suspended. Light rail's finished. Um, not suspended and that the switch has been made. McCallum insists his line from Surrey to Langley would cost the same as light rail. But Translink CEO finally weighing in on estimates showing SkyTrain could cost almost a billion dollars more. We stand by our cost estimate at this point because it's, uh, it's the right methodology, but that does not say it's the final, final word on what the cost estimate is. And what about McCallum's claim that TransLink can just duplicate the Evergreen line? To the Evergreen line was 11 kilometres. The um, run between King George Station of the current uh, Expo line and the city of Langley is 16 kilometres. Unless dramatic savings can be found, SkyTrain might be a tough sell. BC's Premier also questioning the timeline. If he can convince his colleagues at the Mayor's Council to amend the plan, I'm happy to talk to them about it, but that will mean delays in the long term. So while SkyTrain is on track, it's tough to say this election promise is still picking up speed. John Hua, Global News. Time is winding down to mail in those ballots on electoral reform, and so far the numbers have been, how can we put this, abysmal. Less than 10% of ballots have come in so far, and some are saying the deadline should be extended. But as Jill Bennett explains, low voter participation is not going to change the outcome. Are you going to mail that right now? Yeah. This man is doing what hundreds of thousands of other British Columbians haven't, mailing in his ballot on electoral reform. Everybody needs to be involved in government, so I'm doing my part. But as of November 15th, Elections BC is reporting just 7.4% of the ballots have been returned. That has the side fighting against proportional representation, asking for a voting period extension of at least a week. Regardless of which side people are on, we need to have a good turnout, because if the government's proposal to change quite dramatically our electoral system gets a narrow win with only 20% participation, perhaps they have 10.5% in favour, that's not a mandate. That's actually a, a recipe for disaster. The Referendum Act, passed in BC in the 90s, does not require a minimum threshold on voter turnout. The government decides what the questions are, it sets out the process, 
through regulation. It really doesn't matter how many people vote. If it's just over 50%, it's binding on the government. So could the act be challenged if turnout is extremely low? I don't see a basis for challenging it. I suppose a, a creative lawyer could come up with uh, some sort of uh, charter challenge based on uh, voting rights. Certainly I want to see as much participation as possible. We've had mail-in referenda in the past that have seen uh, uh, in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 percent uh, response. We had some uh, Canada Post issues, as you'll know, at the beginning. Past mail-in votes in B.C. on the HST and transit funding had voter turnouts of about 47 and 55 percent. The HST return time extended because of job action at Canada Post, something that is also an issue now. I can tell you I haven't received one yet, though. I'll vote if I get it. I have Elections BC could still extend the voting period, but if that doesn't happen, ballots need to be received by the end of the month, meaning the actual deadline is just days away. Jill Bennett, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us to talk about some comments the Premier made about proportional representation. Mm -hmm. Keith, he's ruling out one option before it's even decided. Yeah, he's ruling out one aspect of one, uh, one option. That's the mixed member proportional model, which would see you elect MLAs using two methods. One, just at how we do it now, at large at a riding level, but also at a regional level. And those MLAs would be taken off a list that uh, would either be closed, and, and, uh, basically unavailable to the public, or open, which you see it on your ballot when you go to make your vote on Election Day. John Horgan today is saying, what's the big deal? Uh, everybody's against closed lists. Everybody's in favor of open lists. But Andrew Wilkinson making the point this is yet another one of those decisions and details that will be decided after the actual referendum vote, which makes it unfair. Here's the two political leaders. It was my understanding that uh, certainly the, the NDP caucus doesn't support closed lists. The Liberal caucus doesn't support closed lists. The Green caucus doesn't support closed lists. So it seems to me that we could give that one a pass. Uh, there's no one in the legislature that thinks it's a good idea, so why would we proceed with it? We're seeing a very low turnout for this referendum, and that's a real concern because we want people to express their democratic choices and to participate in this referendum, but there's not a lot of information out there. People are confused, and it's up to the NDP to explain what's going on in this referendum. So back to the low turnout problem, guys. Uh, basically, November 30th is the deadline. But the realistic deadline, folks, for everybody watching right now, don't wait till November 30th to send your ballot in because it's not going to get to Canada Post in, or to Elections BC in time. I think a lot of people are suggesting November 26th is the real deadline. You, you should get that ballot in the letterbox, in the mailbox, because it needs some time to get to Elections BC, particularly with those rotating postal strikes. Back to you. Ten days. Let's just say ten days, Keith. Ten and, days. Okay. And hope, and hope people uh, <laughs> listen. Thanks very much. All right. Well, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh in Burnaby today calling for an investigation into the role drug companies have played in the opioid crisis. Singh calling on the federal government to follow B.C.'s lead in launching civil action against the drug companies to recover the public costs of a crisis that has claimed close to 4,000 lives in Canada last year alone. And he's calling on the Trudeau Liberals to go a step further. So we're asking the government the federal government today to launch a federal investigation to assess whether or not there are grounds to lay criminal charges against pharmaceutical companies based on the Food and Drug Act. It would send a strong message that this is not acceptable, that this is a serious crisis, and anyone who's contributed to it in any way needs to be held to account. 
Well, the call comes as a new report indicates double the number of kids died in B.C.'s opioid crisis last year than the year previous. Jennifer Palma has the details of a new report and the five recommendations for the B.C. government to help save lives. A robust array of services and supports is what's needed to keep BC's youth safe today, especially amidst the current overdose crisis. Even something like youth-specific spaces for supervised consumption is being looked at, and it's all in the report by the representative for children and youth. There's a huge problem surrounding this area. Young people are not immune from the opioid crisis that we're hearing about every day. The report shows that in 2017, 1,452 British Columbians died in the overdose crisis. Of those, 24 were youth between the ages of 10 and 18. Five recommendations came out of the report that youth be engaged, that information about all services available in the province be accessible, a comprehensive system of substance abuse services be available, that foster parents have training on how to discuss substance abuse with youth and harm reduction services, including supervised consumption. Naloxone should not be a preventive measure. It's a serious experience for young people and a traumatizing experience for young people to overdose. So we have to figure out ways of keeping them safer. We also have to include harm reduction, which might also include safe consumption uh, for young people who use substances. But harm reduction is a critical part of that continuum of care. Judy Darcy, the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, along with the Ministry of Children and Family Development, say that they will review the report's recommendations and work to ensure that BC's children have a bright future. Back to you. Jennifer Palmer reporting. Jen, thank you. That's quite something. Mm -hmm. Right now, though, experts say the future of road safety will involve vehicles that can talk to each other, anticipating and avoiding a collision before it ever happens. The technology isn't quite there yet, but UBC just unveiled the Aurora Research Hub that's steering software developers in the right direction. Making driving safer is the goal of a government-funded project underway at UBC. It's called Aurora, and it's well on the way to upgrading merely smart cars to geniuses. Uh, right now we have uh, radar devices on vehicles to let you know if vehicles are coming too close, etc., but it only works in the immediate vicinity. With this technology, you'll know if there's a vehicle that's on a collision course or if there's vehicles coming out of nowhere you can't see. Those are just a few of the capabilities of the wireless technology being tested around campus. On the map is showing exactly where we are. Two vehicles have been fitted with the units that allow them to communicate with each other. The cars are transmitting basic safety messages to each other, which is essentially GPS coordinates, heading, brake information, and vehicle speed. Not only will it help drivers avoid crashes by sharing information in real time, it'll have the ability to get you to your destination faster with the help of cameras and units posted at intersections. We can see the traffic pattern, so we can see, okay, uh, in this time of the day, they're going to be congestion in this intersection at UBC. Data collected from these sites can also be used to improve infrastructure. It can be used to analyze driver behavior. It can help transportation planners make better decisions about uh, where roads have to be widened or where speed limits have to be reduced or where they could be increased. And of course, to be effective, all cars would have to be fitted with the technology at a cost of about $100 per vehicle. Small change if it lives up to expectations. And this is going to be very useful for every car in every city. And for Canada, I think it's going to be one of the leading countries to have the every car equipped with these devices. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. 
but does it stop you from getting lost on the UBC campus? <laughs> That's impossible. Exactly. There's no technology that can help you with that. RCMP now deeming this major fire arson. It destroyed a number of vehicles at a Kelowna apartment building early yesterday morning. Investigators coming to that conclusion after reviewing video surveillance. As you can see, it shows an unknown individual as he or she allegedly ignites the blaze and then rides away on a bicycle. Police have reason to believe an accelerant was also used by the suspect. Anyone with information is asked to call Kelowna RCMP. All right, quick warning about our next images. They might be disturbing for some viewers. BC's Conservation Service is looking for two alleged poachers who shot a bighorn sheep yearling in Spence's Bridge. A driver spotted the men on Sunday morning in a field and shot this video. The men were armed with rifles and crouched in a shooting position. They allegedly shot the bighorn lamb and then, for whatever reason, left it behind. Conservation officers recovered two bullet casings. The whole thing is kind of shocking on itself, even for, uh, you know, for us that have experience with with uh, poaching and offenses and that uh, just for somebody to blatantly uh, in broad daylight in essentially downtown Spencer's Bridge to shoot a lamb of all things and then just leave is it's kind of it's a mystery. Well, the first suspect is described as 45 to 55 years old, wearing a dark jacket and dark gray or black pants. The second suspect is 40 to 50 years old with light colored hair. He was wearing a brown camouflage sweater with a bright logo on the front and gray or green pants. He also had a scarf or something similar around his neck. If you have any information about this, you are asked to call the conservation hotline at one 952 now to the Site C Dam in northeastern B.C. It's been controversial from day one, and the debate hasn't cooled down much since Premier John Horgan decided last year to go ahead with construction. Among the concerns is whether the dam is being built on solid ground. Land stability is a constant issue in the Peace region. B.C. Hydro has experienced that firsthand, and so have people living nearby. Jordan Armstrong reports. Critics who think Site C is on shaky ground point to the dam's north bank, where last year huge tension cracks appeared, delaying river diversion by a full year. Since then, workers have removed enough earth from the north bank to fill BC Place six times and lay back the slope, they say, to a more gentle angle. You confident it's now stable? Yes, yeah, so, uh, we designed the project to uh, best international and, uh, and national standards. Just a kilometer away from Site C is Old Fort. The community still cleaning up from a slow-moving landslide that began in September, destroying one home and wiping out the only road. A stressful time for the town's 200 residents. So you want some popcorn, Doug? Like Violet and Doug Edstrom, who spent a month evacuated to a hotel with their four pets. Lucky to be back here, yes, because at one time they said that we could be out all winter. Even though the evacuation order's been lifted, some residents are still too scared to return, and perhaps you can see why. It's just kind of like, when's it, when's it going to stop sliding? A week? Uh, a day? Or a month? The Edstroms think the slide was caused by a gravel quarry above Old Fort, and there's absolutely no connection to the Site C project. Still, it illustrates the geotechnical challenges faced by BC Hydro in this area. Landslides are very common in the Peace uh, River. Um, we have uh, designed adequate measures into the project to address uh, the slope stability. 
With six years to go before Site C is done, there could be more bumps in the road for BC Hydro. The Crown Corp has scored 15 consecutive court victories. But a judge has ruled a trial must take place by 2023 to decide whether the dam infringes on Aboriginal treaty rights. Critics like farmer Ken Boone, whose land has been expropriated, plan to keep fighting. We haven't even started to pay for this project. It's all borrowed money. And what's that going to do to our hydro rates? Speaking of money, the budget was once $8.3 billion. Today it's $10.7 billion. Will it change again? Do you foresee any challenges that could delay the completion timeline and raise the budget? No. A powerful prediction in an unpredictable landscape. Jordan Armstrong, Global News, near Fort St. John. It's a world-class facility and uh, they treat us really well. Steak and shrimp, how can you go wrong? I'll say. Well, it's not your grandfather's work camp. Tomorrow on the News Hour, a look at the cruise ship style amenities that keep Sightsee's workforce happy. Check out this stunning drone footage capturing an aerial view of the total devastation from wildfires in Paradise, California. Block after block of burned out homes and vehicles surrounded by trees that in some cases appear untouched by the flames. The death toll from the California fires is now at 59. 130 people are still unaccounted for. Well, things have gone from bad to worse for Facebook as it faces more serious accusations. A new report claims Facebook executives knew a lot more about Russian influence in the 2016 U.S. election than they let on at the time. Facebook knew much more about Russian attempts to influence American voters in 2016 than it originally let on, according to an explosive report in The New York Times. The article saying CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Deputy Sheryl Sandberg ignored warning signs and then sought to conceal them from public view. NBC News confirming the social network hired an outside PR firm to deflect attention by spreading dozens of articles critical of competitors Google and Apple. Last night, Facebook dropped the firm. To suggest that we weren't interested in knowing the truth or that we wanted to hide what we knew or that we tried to prevent investigations is simply untrue. Facebook's board of directors said in a statement, as a board, we did indeed push Zuckerberg and Sandberg to move faster. The big issue is that tech has had a very bad year, led mostly by Facebook. They were worried more about blame on themselves than they were about fixing the situation. Even Prince William today criticizing big tech. Our technology companies still have a great deal to learn about the responsibilities that come with their significant power. This comes as Facebook takes a financial hit. The stock has dropped more than 20% in the last six months, and the number of new users is slowing down as these scandals take a toll. A pre-winter storm hitting parts of the U.S. tonight, spreading across the south and lower Midwest and now heading for the northeast. Five minutes would go by and another branch would come down. You'd hear another crash here and a crash there, and here's another one. And there's a oh, That's ours! The storm brought down power lines, caused at least five fatal accidents on the roads from Cincinnati all the way to New York City. More dangerous travel conditions are expected as Americans begin their Thanksgiving weekend travel. More than 100 million people are under a winter weather advisory, and officials are preparing for more power outages and delays on the roads. Another shocking twist tonight in a story that originally touched people's hearts and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. A New Jersey couple and the homeless man they say helped them with his last $20 
are now all accused of making the entire story up and spending the money. When Johnny Bobbitt, a homeless veteran, reportedly gave his last $20 to help a stranded Kate McClure get gas last November, she and her boyfriend, Mark D'Amico, started a GoFundMe page to pay back his kindness. The heartwarming story went viral and more than $400,000 poured in. That changes my life. But now police say it was an elaborate hoax the trio cooked up together. And tonight, all three are charged with theft by deception and could face up to 10 years in prison. I mean, look, they put out a story that uh, hoodwinked an awful lot of people. Today, the online reaction, swift and angry. They used people's hearts to steal. Now someone who deserves help will not get it. The prosecutor says the money was gone in a few months, spent on a New Year's Eve Vegas trip, a BMW, luxury handbags, casinos, and cash withdrawals. The feel-good story started to unravel a few months ago when Bobbitt sued the couple claiming they kept most of the money. Back then, they defended themselves. And I still believe that we did a good thing and I would do it all over again. Tonight, GoFundMe says this is a rare case of fraud and all 14,000 donors will get their money back. Rahima Ellis, NBC News. Well, the collector's world is reeling tonight from a jewelry auction that set mind-boggling new records. On the block, 10 pieces of Marie Antoinette's royal jewels kept from public view for 200 years. This piece set a new record for a natural pearl. It was expected to go for $3 million Canadian. But when the final gavel dropped, it was purchased by an anonymous buyer for nearly $50 million. Five zero. Antoinette was executed during the French Revolution, but managed to smuggle some of her most treasured possessions out of France before she died. In Health Matters tonight, an important recall of children's medication. A number of over-the-counter strawberry-flavored acetaminophen syrups are being pulled because the child-resistant safety cap may be defective. They're labeled as Biomedic Option Plus or Laboratoire Trianon Inc., a defective cap could allow a child to accidentally ingest the product, which could lead to serious health problems. The products were sold at major pharmacies across Canada. Well, a rather unusual theft to tell you about. Perhaps the men caught had a lot of Christmas baking to do. You don't know. That's one theory. Coquitlam RCMP arresting two men for allegedly stealing, get this, a shopping cart full of butter worth an estimated $1,400. The pair, 23 and 25 years old, arrested outside a supermarket on Lougheed Highway. They're now facing charges of theft under $5,000. Turns out the 23-year-old is a bit of a slippery suspect, according to police. The media release was quite funny. (laughs) He's believed to be involved in at least three other butter thefts around Metro Vancouver in recent months. There's no information on what they might be doing with it, but they're stealing it. Let's hope they were baking. Yeah. And who knew butter could add up to? I was thinking that's expensive, much. right? That's a lot of money. All right, uh, Superboy sets a new fitness record in Chechnya. What he did and why he'll have to do it all over again after Christie's forecast. Kid's got some big muscles. Uh, okay, let's check in with Christy right now and a look at the weather. I know it seemed a little cold, a little drizzly earlier this evening. How's it doing out there now? 
Yeah, well, it's still wet out there. It's sort of a down day, that's for sure. We uh, warmed up to about 10 degrees. We're still looking at rain and gusty winds. It will finally push out later on this evening. And yes, we're still hoping for sunshine this weekend, everyone. Fresh snow in, though, in Prince George. A lot of areas across southern BC warmed up yesterday. So we didn't see the snow in areas like Revelstoke, which was good news. But uh, we were the warmest, by the way. Lillooet was the warmest across the country today at 13 degrees. In Vancouver, we hit 11 degrees, but much colder across the rest of the country, up and through the far north, uh, minus 15, the feels like, and then you can see that in through eastern sections as well. You saw that big ridge? Well, that's going to continue across our region. Uh, the drop in temperature across eastern sections will also continue, so we're definitely on the lucky side of the jet stream right now with beautiful conditions headed our way, but we still have a little bit of moisture to get through. So this is this evening. Still the rain across the south coast, inland regions, higher elevations, some snow, and then we will see some snow east of Prince George, but that will push out overnight. Tomorrow morning early, a slight chance of showers across the south coast, but otherwise a clearing trend on the way. Except for those of you across the far northwest, I am expecting more cloud to push in later Saturday, and that means you have a chance of showers on Sunday, but most of the province will see a sunny weekend. This is Rogers Pass, Right now, it is a mess, and it has been for the last 24 hours. This is how much more snowfall we can expect in that area. Another five centimeters. Most highways, though, not expecting a ton as that system pushes out overnight. So here's your forecast for tomorrow. Cold across these northern regions. So these are the regular temperatures. And yes, those are the daytime highs, everyone. So minus 10, minus 12 in that northeastern sections and cold right down into Williams Lake. Milder in through the Okanagan Valley and across the south coast tomorrow with a high of 12 degrees and yes sunshine by the afternoon which will continue through the weekend however our weekend will definitely be on the cool side especially through the morning period and i'll leave you with a fun shot from couch and bay greg green sent us this and he was wondering uh-huh. if this little guy's just hanging out maybe going for a sale little guy that's a big, big guy, guy i should say probably, yeah. Yeah, no probably hundreds of pounds mm-hmm. wow All right, thanks, Christy. Well, he's only five years old, and already he's known as the Chechen Schwarzenegger. Rakim Koreyev made headlines in Chechnya for doing 4,105 push-ups in two hours and 25 minutes. That's a new Russian record. Rakim dedicated his feet to Chechnya's strongman leader, Ramzan Kadyrov. And as a reward, Kadyrov gave Rakim a Mercedes-Benz as a gift. But it looks like the boy will have to do it all over again. Apparently, the people in charge of the Russian Book of Records are concerned that he was watching cartoons while doing the push-ups and not totally focused on the task at hand. (laughs) They'll be on hand next week to witness him repeat the record. Judging by his other feats of strength, that should not be a problem. What's wrong with what difference it makes? What's with the cartoon bit? I don't know what difference it makes. (laughs) I don't know. Because I would have done that, too, to pass the time. Yeah. We love going on the road with the news hour, but mm-hmm. it's going to be nice for the Canucks to be home, I'm sure, after Well, they've this. had a lot of road trips already, like two six-gamers already this year. And this is the end of the second six-gamer tonight in Minnesota. So the first time they went on a six-game road trip earlier this year, they surprised us. They uh, were 3-3. Three and three. On this one, they have only one win, and that was that crazy game in Boston, 8-5. Tonight, Richard Bachman got the starting goal just to give Jacob Mark some rest, but Bachman had not played an NHL game since April of 2017, and it kind of showed. Play the game I'm sure to say. 
There he is, Richard Bachman. So let's begin. Doesn't get a lot of help here, but probably should have attacked Charlie Coyle and not just sat back in his net. One nothing. I think he probably thought about going after it, then started to back up, and Coyle gets him. But this is the one that Bachman will have nightmares about. What is going on here? No, 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 no! Oh, right to Miko Koivu. Oh, that hurts. So it's 2 nothing. <laughs> yes, he got the assist he never wants. Whoa, Derek Pouliot helped the guy out. Bachman saved the day there. 2 nothing. All right. Power play, second period. Nino Niederreiter, now it's 3 nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, the Canucks get one back, though. Bo Horvat, 10th goal of the year. I don't know how this gets through, but it gets through. So this made it 3-1. to one. And when you thought that, oh, maybe the Canucks will get a rally, 36 seconds later, this happens. And this also, not a good goal. Eric Stahl gets it, goes around the net. How did that go in? I'll show you how it went in. Ay ay ay. 5-1 late second period, Minnesota over Vancouver. As we welcome you back to, to the link, the clink, Century Link in Seattle. Green Bay, I kind of like that all white Green Bay look. Anyway, Aaron Jones from Aaron Rodgers. The Aarons give Green Bay a 7-0 lead. This is what Rodgers does best. Buys time, looks downfield. Robert Tanyan, it is... A 54-yard touchdown. Tanyan! I made it. For a quarterback in the confidence of We'll pick it up now. It's 14-3. Now it's 14-3. And this is Doug Baldwin. The best part about this touchdown is the celebration. It's the surfing celebration. Green Bay's up 21-17 late this second. Now that, that's good. That's clever. You know, it's always nice to see when our game, hockey, becomes somebody else's game as well. This week we saw how hockey has gone all the way to the northern parts of India, where not just boys, but girls and women love the game as well. It's not the kind of team sport jacket you'd expect to see on someone from India, but hockey is truly a global sport, and these young women are in Canada to learn everything they can about our great game. Just getting on the ice in India is a challenge. These women are from the northern village of Ladakh, which has sub-zero temperatures about four months of the year, and that's when they play their hockey, and it's anything but comfortable. Even now, we are still practicing on the frozen ponds that, uh, you know, it's outdoors and uh, it's very rough as compared to the artificial ice. The ice situation is just one of the challenges. The biggest one is dealing with a culture that isn't exactly open to females playing sport, never mind something as obscure as hockey. There are the people who come to cheer for the men's team, not for us. We are always ridiculed and then, you know, we are always mocked by them, you know, like it's not for you. And then a few of the girls, they are very, I mean, they are at the age of 28. So they are always told like, you know, you are a mother, you, are, you, are, you have to like get married now. No, you don't have to play these games. This is sport is not for you and kind of thing. Team India is in Calgary this week for Wickfest, a global women's hockey festival spearheaded by Canadian women's hockey legend Haley Wickenheiser. Their BC connection is Nero Schippel, who helped sponsor the Team India trip, hoping it will be one of those life experiences that transcends hockey. Perhaps someone's going to become a teacher now because she feels confident or she's going to argue with her parents to let her go away to school to have a better life or not take the same road that mom and dad took. 
or encourage sister or brother to do something different. And I'm, I'm thinking that's where we can help these girls as well, not just the hockey road. It seems to be working. The hockey roots are growing stronger, as is the resolve of the players. They've been quite voiceless when they never get got uh, ice time to play. They were on the ice protesting for ice time. Hockey is something that shows what you are inside, inside, in and out, you know. So, yes, I can say that, you know, female uh, hockey is more empowering. Barry Delay, Global Sports. MVPs in baseball, Mookie Betts, American League, Christian Yelich, National League. They both won batting titles this year. There you go. Thank you, Squire. You're welcome. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. Preparations are underway this evening for the Covenant House Sleepout in downtown Vancouver. Over a dozen business leaders and our own Kasia Badurka will be braving the elements to help support homeless youth. And a Vancouver police officer could be facing charges in connection with an accident that seriously injured a pedestrian on Knight Street back on January 6th, the police watchdog has now finished its investigation and sent the report over to the BC Prosecution Service for their consideration of charges. We'll have more on those stories when he joins tonight at 11. So, Chris. All right. Thanks, JD. Squire talks to a man who says he found the key to getting in shape fast, and it's probably not what you think. That's coming up next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia? Yeah, for this last weekend of November, things are getting lit. First, it's the Christmas Glow Gardens, the largest indoor Christmas festival in Greater Vancouver. Laugh and play under the twinkle of half a million lights. What's more, there's live entertainment and Santa visits every day. New this year in Harrison is Lights on the Lake. But it's not your typical Christmas theme here. They're celebrating their long association with the Sasquatch with amazing light displays. Now, who doesn't love cookie decorating? And how about doing it with Santa and Mrs. Claus? Head to Glenda's Christmas Cottage in the country and get into the spirit. Kids will make crafts and decorate cookies and, of course, get the photo op with the big guy himself. Charlie Brown is just a part of Christmas for many of us. And now your kids can experience the ups and downs of his life through a lively Christmas musical at the Carousel Theatre for Young People. It's on until December 30th. Eat, drink, and be merry as the Vancouver Christmas Market is back. As always, this European-inspired festival has it all, with live entertainment, a wide array of activities, authentic German sweets, treats, and treasures. For more, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. All right, Squire uh, puts the spotlight on a sport that maybe we don't know that much about. Well, um, I was told about this gentleman from somebody who works here. They said, you've got to do a story on Alex Hart because this guy does pole sports, which is, I guess, like pole dancing, but they like to call it pole sports. Mm -hmm. Right. Something you don't see very often. So let's see it. Because watch this guy. He's good. This is not an illusion. This is Alex Hart. He is 56 years old, a former gym rat who couldn't find anything to flatten out his stomach until... Well, I was on Granville Street on the social dance floor at a dance club and mentioning to a friend of mine how I love dancing, but it doesn't get me in the greatest shape. And she says, you should try pole dancing. She says, that'll whip you into shape. So he showed up for a class. How many people were in the class when you got there? About eight. How many men? One, me. 
But it didn't take him very long to figure out that his friend was right. This was a great way to get in shape. I, I feel a lot more fit, but I feel fit like a swimmer would feel fit. My whole body gets used. And because you're gripping the pole with more than just your hand sometimes, you'll eventually tighten up everywhere. Knee pits, inside of the legs, uh, back of the back, wrapped around. We, we tend to snake ourselves around the pole a bit to, to hold our grip to it. Despite only doing it for four years, Alex has been in competitions all over the world. You see, pole sports is serious business. The bigger ones, um, like the IPSF Worlds, will have over 300 athletes come from 60 different countries, many of them in teams. And many are quite theatrical. That's Alex doing his senior citizen act. Some of the moves take years to learn. I'm still working on moves for now, for 2019 competition season. The sport has taken him to places and shapes he didn't think possible. But most of all, it allowed him to reach his original goal. I mean, you're in your mid-50s now, right? Yeah. Have you ever been in better shape? No. Wow. That's See? incredible. That is amazing. You get a pole, you'll be in the best shape you've ever been oh, in. Some of that or stuff looked painful. I'll be injured. Well, I asked him, he says I, he's, he's only ever seen two serious injuries in the whole time he's been doing it. Well, someone broke their collarbone, and I think someone else may have fell on their head. Oh, right. So, but he's in great point. shape. Yeah. He looks good. Okay, last word on weather here before we go. Sure. So we're nearly in the clear, everyone. A slight chance of showers in the morning, and then it clears out, and you'll be left with three sunny days. Well, three and a half, including Friday. Amazing. Nice. Mm -hmm. Special thanks to the ladies from How Sound Performing Arts, who were very good guests in the studio. Karen, Mateo.